Today's Bible reading is from John 15, verses 12 to 17. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Hi everyone, my name is Adam, I'm part of the team here and it's so great to have you join us today as we continue our sermon series called Untroubled Hearts. We're looking at Jesus' final words to his disciples. Now, like many others, in the last few months, I've been watching The Last Dance on Netflix. And no, it's not a show or a movie about dancing. It's a documentary about Michael Jordan and his final season with the Chicago Bulls in 1998. Now, if you don't know, Michael Jordan is widely considered to be the greatest basketball player of all time. But what stood out to me uh, in this documentary was not really Michael Jordan's amazing talent or his incredible success, but rather his obsessive drive to win and to be the best. I mean, Michael Jordan would practice relentlessly. He would push his teammates. uh, He would belittle them if they made a mistake to try and get them to be better. He would dwell on the tiniest insult or offense to motivate himself. I mean, if I was to summarize what Michael Jordan was all about, his mantra, it would be to win at all costs, to do whatever it takes to win and to be the best. Now, as I was watching this, I couldn't help but compare it to what we've been seeing in our study of John chapters 13 to 16. Now, it's not quite the last dance, but it is the last supper. It's the night before Jesus is going to the cross Uh, And so he sits down with his teammates, he sits down with his disciples, he shares a meal with them, he shares his heart with them, he tells them what really matters to him. In other words, he gives them and us his mantra. And today we see this mantra really come into focus. We see the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. We see some of the fundamentals of the Christian life, some of the essentials of Christian discipleship. Now the truth is, Jesus doesn't give us anything particularly new in this passage. In fact, he repeats a lot of what he's already said. He talks about loving others, he talks about obeying him, bearing fruit, prayer. I mean, Jesus has already talked about these things in these chapters. But he's repeating them because these are some of the fundamentals of Christian discipleship. And he wants the disciples and he wants us to know them and to live them. Now, maybe you're not a Christian and you've uh, joined us today, which is great, but you're thinking, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not a follower of Jesus, and so these commands aren't for me. And it's true that these commands in this passage are for Christians, but I would suggest that through hearing them, you will gain an insight into the heart of Jesus and what he wants from his followers. 
maybe you're thinking, well, great, I would love to follow Jesus more closely. I'm just not sure how to do that. I'm not sure what that looks like. Well, I hope and I pray that Jesus' words today in this passage will help you know how to follow Him more closely. Maybe others of you are thinking, great, another sermon on things I've already heard before. I mean, if you grew up in the church, if you've been a Christian for a little while, you're not surprised that Jesus says we have to love one another, we have to obey Him, we have to bear fruit, we have to pray. I mean, you're familiar with these commands. And this is a good thing. I mean, it's good to be familiar with the commands of Jesus. But it can also be dangerous. And the danger is that we become so familiar with these commands that when we hear them, they just kind of bounce off us. We assume that we know what they mean. We assume that we're even doing them. When in reality, that might not be the case. And this is why it's good for us to be reminded of these basic truths This is why it's good for us to reflect on these fundamentals because we never grow beyond them. I mean, there will never be a point in your Christian life when you grow beyond the need to love others, to obey Jesus, to bear fruit. We need to come back to, to remind ourselves of, and to reflect on these fundamentals. In fact, it reminds me of a story I once heard about a man named Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi was an American football coach in the NFL. He's best known for his success with the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s. In fact, he led them to win five NFL championships in seven years. But early on in his career, there was a a moment that really set up their success into the future. At the end of the season in uh, 1960, the team suffered a devastating loss in the championship game. And so they came back to training in 1961, ready to go, ready to learn new skills and new things to kind of take them to the next level. And this is why they were shocked and and disappointed when the first thing that their coach, Vince Lombardi, said to them as he's standing in front of them, holding a football in his hand, was this. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he proceeded to take them right back to the basics how to pass, how to tackle, and so on. And six months later, well, the team won the championship. Now, this is kind of what Jesus is doing for us today in this passage. He's taking us back to the fundamentals, back to the basics, because he wants us to know them and he wants us to live them. Now, you you might remember last week in verses 1 to 11, Jesus called on us to abide in him. He called on us to enter into relationship with Him. And this is the essence, the foundation of Christianity. It's union with Jesus. Today, in verses 12 to 17, He tells us what our lives will look like as we abide in Him. He tells us what will be true of us if we are in relationship with Him. And as we work our way through this passage, we'll see that to abide in Jesus to be in relationship with Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, it means at least three things for us. And what we'll see in this passage is that it means, number one, to love like Jesus, number two, to be a friend of Jesus, and then number three, to be chosen by Jesus. So let's look at these three things, beginning with number one, to love like Jesus. Now Jesus makes it very, very obvious in this passage that he wants us to love one another. He says it twice. Once at the start in verse 12, he says, my command is this, 
love each other as I have loved you. And then again, at the end of the passage, in verse 17, he says, this is my command, love each other. Now, do you think Jesus is trying to tell us something? I mean, it's obvious. If we are followers of Jesus, we are commanded by Jesus to love each other. This is at the top of the list in our job description. Love each other. I mean, Jesus is holding up the football before us today saying, ladies and gentlemen, Bray Park Community Church, love one another. But here's the thing. Just because the command to love is obvious, that doesn't make it easy. Why? Well, because loving others can be downright difficult. Because people can be difficult. I mean, even in the church. Not you, of course. I mean, I'm not talking to you, just everyone else. I mean, it's true, isn't it? I mean, we are different. We have different jobs and different backgrounds and different ethnicities. We have different political viewpoints, different parenting philosophies. In fact, theologian D.A. Carson, he once described the church as a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Now, he's not saying that we hate each other. He's saying that there is nothing that naturally binds us together. There is no natural cause, no natural interest that brings us together and holds us together. It's only Jesus. I mean, just think about the group of disciples to whom Jesus is talking to in these verses. I mean, in this group of men in front of him, there are fishermen, there were business owners, tradesmen, a tax collector. There was even a political revolutionary. I mean, these men were so different in so many ways, and yet Jesus does not say to them, just learn to tolerate each other. No, he says to them, love one another. And it's the same for us. We are so different in so many ways, and yet Jesus is saying to us today, not just learn to tolerate each other. No, he's saying, Bray Park Community Church, love one another. And so I guess the question then is this. What does this look like? How do we do this? How do we love those people who are different to us? How do we love those who who can even be difficult? Well, Jesus gives us an insight in the second half of verse 12. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The power that we need to love others who are difficult and different to us, it's to remember that we, who are different and can be difficult, we are deeply loved by Jesus. In fact, do you remember what Jesus said last week in verse 10? This just amazes me every time I read it. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, did you catch that? The love that God the Father has for God the Son. It is the same love that Jesus has for you and for me. I mean, this this should make your head spin and this should make your heart relax all at the same time. This is incredible. You are deeply loved by Jesus. And this is the power, the knowledge, the truth that you need to love others. In fact, there's a commentary by a man named Frederick Dale Bruner on the Gospel of John, and and he comments on this verse, something just so beautiful that I want to share with you. He says, The inhaling of an undeserved divine love for ourselves and the exhaling of our all-too-human but still well-intended love for others 
This is the breathing exercise that all disciples try to practice every day. Now, I love that imagery. As we inhale the love of Jesus, we are empowered to exhale love for others. This is the daily breathing exercise of a disciple. To breathe in love from Jesus and breathe out love for others. And this is why it's so important for us to pay attention to our relationship with Jesus. It's so important for us to each and every day be breathing in the love of Jesus. To be spending time with him in prayer, time in his word, time in stillness before him. I mean, these are not just religious activities that we need to tick off the list. These are exercises for us to breathe in the fresh air of God's love into our lungs so that we can breathe out love for others. And so the question then becomes, well, what does this look like in our lives? What does this mean practically for you and for me? Well, again, Jesus gives us an insight in verse 13. He says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, despite what we're often told, love is not mainly about nice feelings and kind words. Now, the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to is costly love. It's self-sacrifice. It's laying down our rights, our preferences, our wants for the good of others. Now, why is this the case? It's because this is how God has loved us. I mean, Jesus was about to lay down his life, not just for his friends, but for his enemies on the cross. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us at our worst while we were still sinners by giving us his best. Christ died for us. And we are now called to follow his example. We are now called to costly love, to love others even when it's difficult, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's undeserved. We didn't deserve the love of God, but God freely gives it to us, and we can now show that love to others. So how can you put love into practice this week? I mean, we all have a next step because the pursuit of love and loving others is a lifelong pursuit. It's something we never graduate from. So how can you put love into practice this week? Now, the truth is there are countless ways for us to do this, and many of us are already doing it. I mean, I'm so thankful for the love that we see and that we enjoy in our church family. If you're not sure where to start, I would just invite you, encourage you to ask God for his help. Sometime today, just pray and say, Lord, show me one thing that I can do to love others this week. Lord, would you open up opportunities for me this week to show your love to others? And when you pray those prayers, just you see what God will do. Because that is a prayer that God will answer. When we abide in Jesus, we begin to be able to love like Jesus. This is the first thing we see in this passage. The second is this. To abide in Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, it also means to be a friend of Jesus. Now in verses 14 and 15, Jesus calls us his friends. So the question is, well, what does this mean? 
Does it mean that Jesus is like one of our Facebook friends? You know, we accept his request, we see him show up in our newsfeed every now and again, but he's just kind of one friend among many. Does it mean that Jesus is just like our buddy? He just supports whatever we want to do, he's just happy with whatever time that we give to him. What does it mean that Jesus is our friend? Well, the truth is, we are being invited here into friendship with the Son of God. And this means that this is a friendship unlike any other. And this is why we see the condition of this friendship in verse 14. Did you catch what Jesus said? He said, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now let me just say that this is not the best strategy to win friends. I mean, imagine someone said to you, yeah, we can be friends if you just do whatever I say. You'd be like, yeah, thanks, and, but no thanks. <laughs> but this really just reveals the greatness of Jesus. It tells us that though we are Jesus' friends, we are not his equal. I mean, Jesus is our, our friend and our saviour. He loves us. He died for us. But Jesus is also our King and our Lord. He demands our allegiance and he deserves our obedience. In fact, this might be a bit of a silly comparison, and I'm not saying that our PM is the same as Jesus, but it's kind of like being friends with Scott Morrison. Now, if you are a good friend with Scott Morrison, there would be an openness and intimacy and enjoyment in your relationship. But as a citizen of Australia, there's also a sense in which you have to do what he says. You have to obey him. You're not exactly his equal. And it's similar in our friendship with Jesus. We are his friends. This is gloriously true. But we're not his equal, and so we have to obey him. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, doesn't this really just make us his servants? Doesn't this kind of just make us friend in name, but slaves in reality? Well, the answer is no, and Jesus shows us why in verse 15. He says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. A servant is uh, told what to do and they're given no explanation. A friend is brought into the inner circle. A friend is told everything that they need to know. In fact, Tim Keller has a great definition of a true friend. He says, it is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. Now that is completely true of Jesus. He has never let us down and he never will. But he has also completely and totally let us in. He has shown us what God is like. He has shared with us who God is. He's told us everything we need to know about God. I mean, because of Jesus, we are not servants left in the dark. We are friends who have been brought into the inner circle. We have been included in God's plans and we are close to God's heart. It's incredible. And so the question is, are you a friend of Jesus? Jesus has proved himself to be a friend to us. He has come for us and he has died for us. But are you a friend of Jesus? Are you seeking to know him better? Are you seeking, like this passage says, to obey his commands? Now what does this obedience look like? What does it mean for us to obey Jesus' commands? I think we can say a few things here. And the first is that it is an active obedience. 
Notice that Jesus says, you are my friends if you do. Now, unfortunately, many people uh, categorize Christians more for what they don't do than for what they do do. And yes, kids, I realize I just said do do. I mean, many people frame the Christian life negatively, as if it's mainly about not doing certain things. But here, Jesus frames it positively. It's about doing what he has called us to do. Loving others, praying for others, worshipping, seeking to do good, serving, sacrificing, and so on. I mean, the Christian life is not mainly about avoiding big sins and just waiting for heaven. Now, the Christian life is about a life of actively following and loving and knowing and serving Jesus. It's about active obedience. Secondly, our obedience should be continuous. I mean, Jesus did not say, you are my friends if you do what I command once or twice. If you do what I command on Sundays. If you do what I command when you feel like it or when it's convenient. No, the original language, this phrase, it's about continuous action. It's about doing what Jesus wants day after day, year after year. Our obedience should be active, it should be continuous, and finally, it should be total. That is, we should obey Jesus in all things. I mean, we, we don't get to pick and choose what we like or what we don't like about Jesus' commands. You know those books when you were growing up that was kind of a choose-your-own-adventure? You got to the end of the page and you could go this way, you could go that way. That's not what it's like to follow Jesus. We don't get to pick and choose what we like or don't like, which way we want to go. No, when we come to Jesus, we are brought into and we get to participate in the greatest story, the ultimate story, the story of God's redemption in the world. I mean, if you give your life to Jesus, your life will not be wasted you are part of the greatest cause in the universe. And this means what you do really matters. Your obedience matters. Your service matters. Your sacrifice matters. So don't give up. Our obedience to Jesus, it should be active, it should be continuous, and it should be total. Now notice I didn't say perfect. I mean, you won't obey Jesus perfectly. You won't obey him actively, continually, totally, all of the time. There will be fits and starts, peaks and valleys, failures and success. And so the question is not, are you obeying Jesus perfectly? The question is, are you seeking to obey Jesus? Are you trusting him? Are you turning to him? Are you relying on him? And the good news is that as you stumble forward in this obedience... Jesus is not standing over you as a harsh taskmaster. Jesus is coming alongside you as a true and powerful friend. To be a disciple of Jesus, to abide in Jesus, it means to love like Jesus, it means to be a friend of Jesus, and finally, it means to be chosen by Jesus. This is what Jesus says in verse 16. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now, I think Jesus says this at this point because there is a temptation when we start to get traction in the Christian life, when we start to love others and, and, and obey Jesus and so forth, we might begin to think too well of ourselves. We might begin to think that we're the reason things are going so well. 
And so Jesus reminds us how we got here. And he says, it's not because we worked our way in. It's not because we earned our way in. It's because he graciously brought us in. I mean, Jesus is saying to us, remember where you came from. Remember how you got here. I chose you. Now, this might sound a little disheartening to you, but I think it's actually incredibly humbling and incredibly encouraging. Because it means beneath our wavering, beneath our weakness, are the eternal loving arms of God. He knows us fully. He wants us. He chose us. But it actually gets even better because Jesus didn't choose us to just sit on the sidelines. Jesus chose us for a purpose. That's what he says there. He says, I've chosen you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. If you are a follower of Jesus, your life is filled with purpose. Every day you are to go into your life and you are called to bear fruit. Now, what is this fruit? Well, notice that we are to go. We are to go into the world. We are to go as witnesses of Jesus, to share the message about Jesus, to invite others to find life in Jesus. And as others come to know Jesus and find life in Jesus, that is fruit that will last into all eternity. I mean, this is what God has called us to do, to be witnesses to Jesus in our world. And if this sounds a little bit daunting to you, then Jesus reminds us that he's with us on the journey, that he hears and that he answers our prayers as we go about this mission. That's what he says at the end of verse 16. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I love the way that Bruce Milne summarizes it in his commentary. He says, we go, not because we are worthy or equipped or attractive or skilled or experienced or in any way suitable. We go because we have been summoned and sent. Since he has called us, he will equip us and enable us for our witness. I mean, this is the whole point of this passage. Jesus is with us. He doesn't call us to do these things on our own or in our own strength, to love others, to obey him, to bear fruit. No, he is with us. We abide in him and he abides in us. He is the vine. We are the branches. We are not alone. And so if you are feeling defeated or disqualified or overwhelmed in your Christian faith, here's what you don't do. You don't turn inward and look at your failing. You turn to Jesus and you look at his fullness. I mean, don't focus on the fruit in your life. Focus on Jesus. Because if you focus on your relationship with Jesus, the fruit will come. I mean, you will experience the joy of loving others, the joy of obeying Jesus, the joy of seeing others come to know Jesus. I mean, there is nothing else like it. So what are we waiting for? Let's keep turning and trusting Jesus. Let's keep turning to him and let's keep loving one another. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you have invited us to abide in you and you abide in us by your spirit. And so we pray now that as we go forward into our lives, that we might bear fruit fruit that will last, 
that we might love others as you have loved us and that we might experience the joy of obeying Jesus' commands. Oh Lord, fill us and use us for your glory and for your purposes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to partake together in Lord's Supper in just a moment. And as we prepare to do that, a short clip will play. And I would just invite you in these next few moments, if you haven't already, to go and get your elements for Lord's Supper, some bread or crackers and some juice. And I'd also invite you to take these next few moments to just turn to Jesus, to trust in him, to confess sin, and then we will come back together and we will partake in Lord's Supper.